You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you are receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about our church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Last week we took a break from the book of Galatians. We're back into it this week. So you can open up your Bibles right to Galatians, and we'll be in Galatians 5 verse 1. So I'll let you get there. I'll put the words on the screen per usual. And, you know, I was pretty reflective on the book of Galatians. Like, it's been a great journey to walk through the book of Galatians and really create a foundation of our faith. And that's what Galatians has done, and hopefully it's done that for you. It's like, what is the gospel? Like, how do we understand that we have been justified and saved by God? That's what Galatians is doing for us. We'll get a little bit more of that today. But as I said two weeks ago, we're kind of turning the page on, on this a little bit in this respect. That foundation is going to get practical. Like, what does it mean to live out the gospel? If God has saved you, he has called you right before a holy God because of his son. If he has saved you, what then? Right? And so I think what Paul does in his argument, and we're going to see this here in a moment, he's trying to take things from the head to the heart. He's trying to get things from like the Sunday morning to what does life really look like, you know, Monday to Saturday. And uh, Paul's turning the corner here. So let's read. We got a lot of text to cover, and admittedly, uh, there's probably three sermons in here, and I struggled with that. Um, So there's some things I won't hit upon But I'm just going to tell you up front, I'm leading you all the way to verses 14 and 15, where we really focus on what does it mean to be free. We start to practically work these things out. So we'll begin in verse 1, we'll go to verse 15, and then we'll dive in to the message. But here's God's word for us this morning. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, And do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's a lot here. And it's one of those texts. It's like, where do you begin? Um, It was a good challenge. So I want to begin by asking a few questions, right? Um, As a person living in this country, in America, here's the question. How did you obtain your freedom? America is a a remarkable country that provides a tremendous amount of freedom to its citizens, at least in comparison to other countries around the world. In light of the fact that you are free, here's another question. What do you do with your freedom? How, How do you express your freedom, right? The question really gets to the heart of how you understand freedom because what you value is seen by what you actually do with your freedom. One final question. How would you respond if someone tries to take away your freedom? (laughs) When you ask this question to Americans, for some people, there's like an emotional and visceral response. You just don't mess with an American's freedom. The message of Galatians, as you know, is about freedom. It is about how freedom is obtained. It is about what you should do with your freedom. In Galatians, it's about how to respond to those who want to take away your freedom. Up to this point in Galatians, we have read how freedom is obtained. Freedom is obtained when a person is set free from spiritual slavery through faith in Jesus Christ. The point Paul has been making, and you know this over and over again, is that the gospel of free grace is about what God has done in Christ to save hellbound sinners. That exclamation point was really in chapter 2 and onward. Today, Paul continues to build out his case by telling us what it looks like to live freely. That's where he's leading us. Paul answers the question of what you should do with your freedom. If you're free, what should you do? What should you do? So quickly, here's here's what I'm going to do in today's passage. And as many of you already know, um, because you've been tracking along, you know how Paul has been building his case in Galatians. Paul is writing to his friends throughout the region in Galatia, trying to he's trying to encourage them in their faith. While he encourages them, Paul also brings correction because the Galatians were beginning to believe in a twisted and adulterated gospel. Do you know what I mean when I say kind of an adulterated gospel? It is a gospel that may sound true, but when you dig a little bit deeper, the truths actually turn into lies. Here's an example um, of a gospel that sounds true, but when you dig a little bit deeper, um, the lies are kind of exposed. I love it when Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses come to my house. Like some people are like, don't answer the door, honey. <laughs> get the kids away, get the dog quiet. No one answers the door. I'm like, open the door, I want to talk. You can ask Sharice. Conversations have gone on for two to three hours when they, when they come to the power house. Not that we're in the country, no one's been coming, but previously... 
I loved it. But here's what I've learned. What is dangerous about Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses in particular, because we're familiar with them because we see them from time to time, what is dangerous about Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses is that when they begin to talk, it sounds like they know their Bible and they know the gospel. However, when you listen carefully, they do not believe in the Trinity the way that historic Christianity has believed in the Trinity. When they talk about the deity of Christ, you begin to map it on with the Bible, and you're like, well, i got some questions here. It sounded good, but as you dig a little deeper, you're like, whoa, that's not actually what I believe. That's not what the Bible says. Oftentimes, with a sleight of hand, they get you to think that you're on the same page, but in reality, they're, they're preaching a false gospel. The Galatians were beginning to believe in a twisted and adulterated gospel, which is why Paul goes after the false teachers who were spreading the lies. So all, with all that kind of as a prelude, here's how I want to kind of look at our text, that big chunk of text that we read. God not only wants you to understand that you are free because of faith in Christ, but you need to obviously live in that freedom. And we need to consider what to do with these false teachers. John, John Piper said something about freedom that I've remembered and have hung on to. About your freedom in Christ. It's really simple. You need to act the miracle. You need to act the miracle. You need to act like the miracle is true. You need to act like you believe Christ purchased your freedom. So let's take a closer look at our freedom. Two weeks ago, I ended my sermon by looking at Galatians 5.1. Um, it is not a stretch to say that Galatians 5.1 is why Paul writes this letter in the first place. If the book of Galatians is the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, then verse 1 is the key to the entire book. Paul wants the Galatians to experience their freedom, which comes from faith in Christ. Here's that verse again. For freedom... Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. God does not just want you to intellectually know freedom. He wants you to experience freedom. The difference between having knowledge of freedom and an experience of freedom is like seeing something beautiful on a postcard and experiencing the beauty in person. Before I took my, my first trip to Bolivia, it was a missions trip, I remember just like, you go to Google, you put in Bolivia, you know, and the place you're going to go to, and you see the pictures. And it does something to you, like, that is beautiful, but that is way different than actually being in the Andes Mountains, breathing the air, looking up, and seeing the mountains. That experience is vastly different than looking at the postcard. God does not want you to take your experience for, this, for granted, and this experience of freedom for granted. He wants you to embrace, enjoy, and soak in the freedom and the entire experience that comes from having freedom through Christ. If there's one thing I have learned throughout 30 years of, 38 years of life, it is that people take freedom for granted. Right? Go back to my opening 
thoughts regarding freedom, the freedom we have as Americans. There are plenty of people in this country who take their freedom or liberty for granted. They do not appreciate what they have as American citizens. Uh, you know, I've traveled all over the world, and I can't tell you how many times a person who is not an American has come up to me and said, that is amazing, the, the freedom you have, that is unique, that is, that is special, that is unparalleled. Now, I'm not making political statements here. I don't serve Democrats or Republicans. That's not my point. I'm touching upon a temporal idea that has massive implications when it's applied to faith. I want you to see that your spiritual freedom is massively more significant than the freedom offered to you than being a citizen of this country. And the reason why I use that particular um, example is because as Americans, we feel that. We feel that freedom. We love that freedom. We need to love the freedom that we have in Christ even more. I want to let that sink in for a moment. If an American perceives their freedom is being taken away, the pitchfork is pulled out of the shed to defend American freedom. But when a person's Christian freedom is being attacked by false teachers, there's hardly a response. And my point is we oftentimes do not rightly prioritize our freedoms. Think of it like this. Many years ago, I visited a friend who was serving as a missionary in a country that was hostile to Christianity in America. Just visiting him as a friend, just to encourage him. He was lonely. Um, and I, I love being there. The, the political, there were political tensions. There were li- religious tensions. Uh, my friend there was there to tell Muslims about the gospel. The trip went great. But it occurred to me afterwards that if I was at the wrong place, at the wrong time, hanging around the wrong people, I could have been thrown into prison just because I was there. And if that would have happened, you know what? I still would have been the most freed man in that country. I'm not saying the circumstances would have been delightful. That's not what I'm getting at. But a prison cell can't take away a Christian's freedom in Christ. While it is good for Americans to be thankful for the freedom they have as citizens, it does not compare to the freedom that is experienced because of faith in Jesus. What is a Christian free from? You're free to Christ. What are you free from? Christians are free from the power of sin because Christ has broke that power by his death and resurrection. Christians are freed from condemnation and shame because of the justification of faith. Christians are free from the fear of death because they know that this world is temporary. Two weeks ago, we looked at this heaven, this new Jerusalem. is more glorious and enjoyable than what this world has to offer us right now. My freedom, your freedom, means we no longer have chains around our wrists and ankles. The weight of sin is no longer a weight on our back. Jesus removed it for us. Listen, when it, when it says in Galatians 5.1 to not go back to the yoke of slavery, what is being implied here is that you once were under the yoke of slavery. You were under the yoke of slavery because of your sin. And so I think it's good to ask, do you remember that? Remember when the yoke was around your neck? We run into the word yoke Several times in the Bible, if you don't know what a yoke is, it is this massive 
piece of wood that goes around the neck of an animal, an oxen, for example, and uh, the oxen would just be, be used to control the oxen to plow the field. Paul is creating a metaphor from an agricultural reality. So what Paul is saying is that do not go back to the burden of the law or the control that comes from the yoke around your neck because that is spiritual slavery. Therefore, the message for the saints of Redemption Hill Church is this. Do not go back, but live in the freedom that has been given to you. Listen to what the Gospel of John says about your freedom. So if the Son sets you free, you know the verse, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If God decrees for you to be free, it sounds simple, but it's so profound, you're free. As I was pondering verse 1, I wondered why Paul sees the need to remind the Galatians to live in the freedom granted to them through faith in Christ. Two reasons came to mind, which also applies to us. Why do we need to be reminded? First, we're forgetful. Um, Even the brightest of people need to be reminded of important truths from time to time. Sean Powers is not the brightest tool in the shed. I No, (laughs) see... Case in point, I got that all wrong. Not the brightest bulb on the porch, not the sharpest tool in the shed. And I need to be reminded. You're going to let me know about that one later, aren't you? That's typical, though. But is it, it, it didn't mean it, but it totally makes my point. You got to remind me of my freedom in Christ. The second reason why Paul must remind the Galatians and us of freedom is because there are forces in this world that do not want you to see that you are indeed free. There is evil in this world that would rather see you take your freedom for granted. To live in your freedom without purpose or direction. To see you indifferent about your freedom. To see you abuse your freedom. To see you move away from freedom and back into slavery. And oftentimes, the demonic forces working against gospel freedom are not found... Outside the church, they are inside the church, and they come in the form of false teachers. We've already seen this in the book of Galatians, and like Paul, I'm going to emphasize it one more time. When it comes to your gospel freedom, there are two alternative messages that take aim at your freedom. The first is legalism, and the second is licentiousness. Legalism and licentiousness. Paul raises both issues in this passage. Let's handle them one at a time. As you may know by now, legalism is adding requirements, or we've been saying works, to a person's initial justification. Paul raises the issue once again in verses 2 to 6 when he mentions circumcision. The false message went something like this. If you want to be saved, you need faith in Jesus plus something else, in this case, circumcision. But as we have already seen in Galatians, Paul says faith in Jesus is all a person needs to be justified. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. The initial justification is from God 100%. You can't add to your justification. You can't take anything away from it. Here's how Paul says it in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Now, I'll touch on what love has to do with faith in a moment. 
But for now, let's focus on the message of the false teachers. The radical claim of the Bible, in contrast, especially in light of the New Testament, is that the grace of the gospel and all of its implications are in Christ. Let me remind you about how this idea called grace and what it has to do with legalism and how legalism distorts grace. Grace is the gift given to you when you did not ask for it or expect it. The gift being Jesus. Um, Good gift receivers do not take a gift and say, how can I make this better? Or even more absurd, what can I do to take away from this gift? To lessen the value. To ask either question is to insult the gift and the gift giver. Instead, the gift should be received with gratitude and thankfulness. Legalism does not cultivate a heart of gratitude or thankfulness. Legalism replaces faith with works. Legalism takes gospel hope and replaces it with fear. Legalism takes love and replaces it with despair. I have massive concerns with a pastor or church putting conditions on justification by faith. I know this sounds mean, but I'm not trying to be mean, but it's true. You can take a five-minute drive from here, a five-minute drive, and find a church that preaches the gospel but also gives conditions to the gospel. And what ends up happening, and the church may even say on its website, we're gospel-centered, but what ends up happening is that church isn't shaped by the gospel. It's shaped by the conditions that they've added to the gospel. And Paul says, no. No. Let's bring it home for a moment. I hope this church continues to be founded upon the gospel, but if we are not thoughtful and careful, we could cultivate a culture that creates conditions to a person's justification. The moment that happens, it is no longer a gospel of grace. It becomes a gospel of works. We... We want this church to ooze with grace. The other false gospel being preached is a gospel of licentiousness. A gospel of licentiousness receives the gospel of grace, but responds to the gospel without any moral parameters. Legalists are quick to rightly point this out. In Galatians, Paul knows that the gospel of free grace can be abused. That's why he, I think, pens verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. I think verse 13 is here because we should not overreact to legalism by giving up on what the, how the scriptures instruct us about how to live. How do you live in a manner worthy of Christ? Do not use your freedom thinking that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Also, a church which gives license to sin because it believes in Jesus is not a church of freedom, but is a church full of people in slavery. A church which excuses sin and says, you know, I hear it all the time, grace, 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 does not understand the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace transforms a person to not sin, not to excuse sin. 
We'll see this more clearly next week, but for now, see that your Christian freedom is not a freedom to continue on in sin, to continue on in the sin that Jesus died for. But your freedom means you've been utterly changed and sin becomes like a detestable taste in your mouth. You know, before Sean Powers was saved, sin tasted good. After, it tastes bitter. Because I went after the legalistic churches, I think it's only fair to go after the churches who have created a culture of licentiousness. And I'm doing this because I'm just trying to follow Paul's lead here. If I'm the one guessing, more of these churches exist because they're easy to be a part of. They're really easy to be a part of. It is easy to be part of a church that does not care about how you battle sin. It's easy to be a part of a church that does not preach to you about your utter depravity, but they preach like your best life now. Sure, you all heard of the book. I'll even go a step further and say it's easy to be a part of a church that endorses sin. A church that endorses sin, sin surely won't preach against your sin and therefore does not care about your holiness and your growth in the gospel. Becoming more like Jesus. That is surely a part of churches throughout America. So what is the right path? Going after legalism, licentiousness. What's the right path here? I think the right path is between legalism and licentiousness. We need to keep the message of the gospel between these guardrails. And we should not add to the gospel of free grace, and we should not say that say grace is an excuse to continue on in sin. Paul says, Romans 6, shall I go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. I think um, this passage in Titus keeps the message of the gospel between the guardrails. Listen to this. Paul, Paul writes this to his friend Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. The grace of God saves. But what else does it do? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The gospel of grace saves, and it also helps a person to change. And I'll admit, it can be easy and sometimes tempting to go one way or the other. But staying between the guardrails is essential for our good, for the good of every person who comes into this church, and it brings honor and glory to God. Staying between the guardrails is how you continue on in freedom. So I've gone on about the false messages, but what about the false teachers? Um, What about those bringing the false messages? Paul has several choice words for them. And man, if throughout Galatians... Paul is just like one zinger after another going after these false teachers, and he does it again right here. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, and I take penalty here to mean the judgment of God, whoever he is. And then in verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I'm going to try to keep it PG. Think about what Paul is saying. 
His overstatement is taking circumcision to the next level. He is effectively saying, I wish these false teachers would mutilate themselves, mutilate their male parts, because of the harm they are inflicting. Man, that's tough. I mean, that kind of language does not fly in our culture. Yet we read it right here in the scriptures. We read the severity of the false gospel and the danger of false teachers. I got a long list of teachers and preachers in my own head who are going to bear the penalty. Paul's words, not mine. We're going to bear the penalty because they are preaching a false gospel. They are preaching legalism or licentiousness. Paul goes after the person delivering the message. So at the risk of not making friends, but in honor and fidelity to the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want false teachers to hear what God's word says about them. I want you to hear what God's word continues to say about false teachers. Here's Ezekiel 13.9. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. Jeremiah, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy you, fulfilling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Matthew 7, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There's more. Second Peter, there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation, pronounced long ago, is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. Last but not least, if there's any one of these verses that applies to America today, it's 2 Timothy 4, 3, 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That one really got me thinking. Instead of looking to others, I'll look at myself and say this. If I stop preaching truth and start preaching in such a way where I'm trying to appease you, then I'm failing you as a pastor. My goal is to preach to you the truth of God's word. Not to be cute. Does that mean you can't have lighthearted stories? But it's not to be cute and to tell you what you want to hear. What you need to hear, what I need to hear, is what God word, God's word says the truth that is found in our Bibles. If I do the opposite, go grab the pitchfork. 
So yeah, false teachers are a thing. And as your pastor, the way I do care for your soul is to remind you of the dangers of false teachers and their teachings and from time to time, especially as scripture allows to point it out. I also need to remind you, and we need to remind each other continually of the way of Christian freedom, which is through the gospel of free grace. And when we stay within the guardrails, we are free to fulfill the law, which is the great paradox of Paul's teaching, especially in Galatians. Paul has said, you can't fulfill the law, right? Over and over again. Law is a burden. And then he says, well, you can. When we stay within the guardrails of free grace, we fulfill the law through love. In verse 6, Paul says we are free to love because of faith. Now in verse 13 and 14, he says, Through love, serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is kind of a paradox going on here in Galatians. Tom, Tom Schreiner, a theologian, sums it up well, sums up the main idea well. Believers are free from the law in Christ, but true freedom, that's part of the paradox here, true freedom expresses itself in serving and loving others, not in satisfying selfish desires. Such freedom represents the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. So from from faith, we are free to love our neighbors and we are free to love through serving. Before looking at the how, what are the practical implications of, love, of, of freedom? Let's look at the why. Why is the law fulfilled by love and through love? I think love is the ultimate Christian ethic which flows from faith. Think of it this way. Because saving faith in Jesus is the most precious gift a person can receive, there's only one appropriate response. Love. Love to God. Love to others. It might be helpful to draw out some differences between the way the world thinks of love and what God's word says about love. I think this will help crystallize what Paul is saying. Oftentimes the world feeds our sin by turning love in on ourselves. Uh, Love from the world says, like, look at me. What can I get out of this? How can I feel good? Even a genuine desire to love another person can, you know, you can still ask the question, like, what's in it for me? Love from the world, especially like this, is shallow. It focuses on feelings and dismisses the importance of commitment. Love from the world is easy. It's easy to love like the world. In contrast, this is the higher value, the higher virtue. The Christian call to love others from the Bible is the highest ethic. Christian love is the highest moral principle. Christian love says yes, even when it is hard. Christian love puts the other person before yourself. Philippians 2.4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but count others more significant than yourself. I'm just not talking about marriage, although it certainly does apply to marriage and how we interact with our spouses. It's how children interact with each other, how we interact with our friends, how we treat strangers. The brass tax is this. Christian love is sacrificial love. 
And one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Jesus says this in John 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did. So do you see the sacrificial love of Jesus? It is this kind of love that we are free to emulate. We're free to emulate the love of Christ. It is this kind of love that fulfills the law. Romans 13 helps us to see the connection between the law and, and love. Paul says this, Owe no one anything except... Isn't that interesting? Oh, no one anything, except this one thing. Love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, here's how Paul makes his point, that love fulfills the law. You should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Same passage that we read in Galatians 5. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. So it says, so let's say you look at the Ten Commandments. The way to follow the Ten Commandments is to love. If you love your mother and father, you will honor them. If you love your neighbor, guess what? You're not going to look at their items and covet it. Like, oh man, I wish I had that. And all of a sudden, you start feeling differently about your neighbor because of what you covet. So why does our freedom cause us to love? Because there's no higher way to love and no greater way to emulate Jesus. There is no other way, no greater way to emulate Jesus than to love others just as Jesus loved. It says... We are to love by serving, it says that specifically, serve others, and by treating others the way that you would want to be treated. So here's some application. Let's consider serving for a moment. When someone serves you, that is an extension of love toward you. Even when you serve at Redemption Hill Church, right? Folks serve in this church. That is an extension of love toward others. Christ's love toward others. What about loving your neighbor? Well, if you love God, you will love your neighbor just as God loves you, even the ones that might drive you nuts. Loving your neighbor is not first about your need, but theirs. Let me get really practical for a moment. If you have a conflict with a neighbor, and we can extend this to families, friends, spouses, right? If you have a conflict, the principle of love should should govern how you resolve the problem. Man, that guy's driving me nuts. What do I do? Well, back up. What does the Christian principle of love say? Your freedom in Christ allows you to love in such a radical way. By the power of the Holy Spirit, your freedom in Christ lets you to love in ways this world does not know of. And it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It's stunning. It, it transforms relationships, marriages. So how do I, how do I land this plane? 
feel like 15 verses, and a lot in those 15 verses, a little bit of meandering. How do I, how do I land? Two thoughts come to mind here. First, consider how you view your freedom in Christ. Go back to what I said at the very beginning. Do you take it for granted, or do you rejoice because of what Christ has done to grant you freedom? Let's start there. Consider that. You know, walk away with something. Think about your freedom in Christ. And take it for granted and ask the question, what do I do with this? Second, consider when you love others. God is always challenging you to love others in a radical way so that they may see Christ in you. Think about what this could do for a personal evangelism, right? You got friends who are not saved, even if they drive you nuts. Imagine what it would look like if you loved them radically and sacrificially. Don't you think they'd be like, whoa, there's something different about that person. He loves me in a particular way. He treats me in a particular way that no one else treats me. You can extend that into our marriages too, right? Love radically because of what Christ has done for us by giving us freedom. Let me end with this line from a song that I enjoy. It's a song called Farther Along. Um, it, just, it came to mind and it connects freedom in Christ with love. I love this, this imagery here. Skipping like a calf loosed from its stall. I'm free to love once and for all. Let's pray.